Good morning. Happy New Year. You can say Happy New Year back to me too. It's cool. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Samuel. Um, we started a new series in 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, uh, this past Sunday. Um, as you're turning there, I have a question for you to think about. Um, what would you say to a friend um, that asked you, does God speak? Does, does God still speak to us today? One way to answer that would, would be from the passage that Sherry just read. Um, yes, someone held up his Bible. Yes, well, that's one way to answer it. Another way is the passage that Sherry just read from Hebrews chapter 1. God spoke through his prophets in these last days. He's spoken through his son, Jesus. God, God does speak. He continues to speak. Um, and we'll talk about some of the ways that, that God speaks to us still today. Our truth statement is, uh, is this. God has appointed prophets to reveal his word to his people, confirming them as, estab- as his established Prophet. So we'll see in, in the book of Samuel um, in it today, we'll see that uh, there was a prophet, and that prophet was not faithful. Um, his sons, uh, his sons Hophni and Phinehas, were not faithful, um, and, and they would face judgment for that, and yet God would raise up a prophet um, so that the word of God could, uh, could be spoken. Um, Samuel is in Shiloh, and, and we will hear today that... Um, the word of the Lord was rare in Shiloh at that time. But it could be argued that even more rare than God speaking was people listening to God. And I think um, that today is, is similar to that, that it's rare that people listen to the Lord. There's, there's plenty of noise in our world. There's plenty of, of, of noises that distract us from hearing from the Lord. And it can be difficult to recognize that God is speaking, but to the ear that is attuned, the Lord is speaking loud and clear. And we all know what it's like to, to hear a bunch of sound and yet not pay attention. Uh, from time to time, I, 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 uh, I have to just get out of this building. I get like stuck prepping my sermon and I, I just change scenery. So I'll go to a, a coffee shop and I'm pretty good at, at being around lots of conversations and lots of noises. And I'm just able to dial it in on my computer in the midst of all that noise. We also, are, I'm, I'm assuming we're all... Um, pretty familiar with someone talking to us directly, not, not like at a coffee shop where there's conversations going on around us, but someone talking right to me, and, and I can look like I'm paying attention. I don't know if you do this too, but I can look as if I'm dialed in to that conversation, and yet I'm not listening at all, right? Do you do that, right? Sometimes we don't even mean to do it, but we'll, we'll nod our head as if we're paying attention. I'm sure you never do this to like your spouse or, or, or your child, but you nod, right? You might even throw a mmm in there or an uh-huh, yep. And yet we're, we're not really paying attention. We, we've, we've cloaked not listening with these cues as if we are listening. We're so adept at doing this. I think a lot of times we don't even mean to do it. We don't even realize we're doing it. We fool the speaker, but man, when that speaker finds out, it's not good. And we do this with with God as well, right? We can look 
Like we're right there with the Lord. Like maybe, maybe we're in our Bibles, right? And we're reading, we're trying to do the Bible read through in, in a year or however long. And we're reading. And I don't know, you ever close your Bible and realize, I have no idea what I just read. Or, or maybe, maybe you'll spend time in prayer, right? And you want to go before the Lord and pray. But your mind's just all over the place. Or I've heard at other churches, I know this doesn't happen here. I've heard that sometimes people don't listen during the sermon. And they, they're pretending like they're listening, right? Like people, they'll have their phone out as if they're on their Bible, and it's really Amazon, right? And they're, or, they're, or they're ordering lunch after, after church. Uh, those terrible other churches. Um, anyway, we, we, do this, we do this with the Lord. And in chapters 2 and 3, we, we find uh, comparison between young Samuel and Eli and his sons. And his sons, they do not listen. And Eli's, he's getting old, right? His, his vision isn't working. No doubt his, his ears are failing him at this stage of his life. And I think the author's using the, this physical reality to point to the spiritual condition of Eli's heart. And I think of Israel as well. But we'll see that that even though God's appointed prophet, Eli, and his sons uh, were unfaithful, God would continue to be faithful by raising up a prophet, by raising up Samuel, who would bring the Lord so that God's people, so that Israel could hear God's word. Eli's house may not be able to hear, but young Samuel hears. Now at first, and we'll see this in chapter 3, at first Samuel doesn't know who he hears. He's a little confused. Um, but as he learns to listen to God and obey God, God grows him up. So where we left off, in case you weren't with us, um, there was uh, a woman in, in chapter 1, Hannah, her husband Elkanah. They were unable to have kids. She was barren, and this was devastating to her. I mean, I, I think we can all imagine what this would be like. So she's pleading with God. She's praying for a son and, and says, if you give me a son, I, I will dedicate him to you. He will serve you. And sure enough, God blesses them with young Samuel. Samuel's born and, and, and she raises him. She weans him and, and raises him till he's old enough and, and gives him to the Lord. He, he goes and, and he lives with Eli, serving at the tabernacle, the temple. And then uh, the author gives us Hannah's song or her poem. And, and, and if you haven't read it, like if you weren't here last week, or, or even if you have read it, I'd encourage you to read it uh, as we go throughout these, these two books because it keeps coming back to truths in Hannah's song. It's, it's beautiful. And then verse 11, where we left off last week, it says, Then Elkanah went to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So Samuel's there in Shiloh. He's serving the Lord. He's doing priest-like activities. He's not a priest yet, but, but it says that he's ministering, right? In the presence of Eli, the priest. So here's this young boy apprenticing under Eli, who, who is, who's the priest. It's not specified, but he's probably the high priest of Israel. And so far, the story is going great. And then here's verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. We go from miracle birth, Hannah's beautiful song about the Lord, the boy now serving at the temple to Eli's worthless sons. And we already, we don't know what to think of Eli. 
because in chapter one, uh, we, we, we question how good of a priest he really is. Hannah's there praying, just pouring her heart out, this fervent, passionate, just raw prayer. And what does Eli think? He thinks that she's drunk. And this jumps off the page to us as odd. If anyone should be uh, in tune with spiritual practices, you'd think it would be the priest of Israel. It'd be akin to, uh, to coming to a doctor's office and your leg is, is dangling and your doctor can't correctly diagnose a broken leg. And now we learn that Eli's kids are worthless. And then it says they did not know the Lord. Isn't it interesting? He connects worthlessness to did not know the Lord. Do you find your worth in in knowing the Lord? Because there are all kinds of of ways that we're tempted to find our worth in this world. Maybe it's through uh, your success at school or in work. Perhaps it's, uh, it's through some of the accomplishments you've had or, or the accomplishments of your kids. Maybe it's, maybe it's the college that, that you got into, the job that you have. Maybe it's, maybe it's your, your physique. Maybe it's the car you drive or, or we're tempted to find our worth in the neighborhood or the house that we live in. But is your worth in knowing the Lord? Verses 12 through 17, we hear about these worthless sons. And this word worthless is a strong word. Hannah actually used the same word when Eli thought she was drunk. Hannah said, I'm not a worthless woman. And the author's helping us to see here the the kind of person that is is worthy, uh, a person that is devoted to the Lord, that loves the Lord, that, that will obey the Lord compared to Eli's worthless sons. And the last time this word worthless was used is in the book of Judges when uh, some men did something terrible. They, they raped and murdered uh, the concubines, uh, the, the Levites' concubine. And, and these men are called worthless men. So this is the same word used here of Eli's sons. In the following verses, we find out they're dishonest. They're greedy. Their heart was, was far from the Lord, had nothing to do with the Lord. So people would bring sacrifices, right? The, the way that God prescribed for them to have their sins atoned for was bring sacrifices. And, and this is also the way that God would provide for the priests. They would get a portion of the sacrifice as their food to eat it. But there, there were guidelines, there were rules for how to do this. God laid it all out, but Eli's sons just took what they wanted. They were, they were bullies about it. When they asked for it and they didn't give it, it says they'd take it by force. So here are these men serving at the temple. And think about this. They're literally steps away from God's presence. Right? The Holy of Holies. And they're completely defying him. They have no regard for him at all. And it appears that Levi... I'm guessing over the years, we got more and more lax in this as well. Later in the chapter, in verse 29, Eli is rebuked by, by another prophet. And, um, and he's lumped in with his son, saying that they're fattening themselves on the sacrifices that were intended for the Lord. So his sons, they didn't know the Lord. They had zero respect. They had no reverence. They didn't listen to God. They didn't obey God. They certainly did not fear God. 
but it's not like they're physically removed, like they're physically far from God. They were right there supposedly serving in his temple and their dad was a priest for crying out loud. I guarantee that they heard about the Lord. I guarantee they heard the word of the Lord. I'm sure that they even memorized scripture more than all of us combined. They had every opportunity and yet they didn't pay attention to the Lord. It's tragic because they missed what they were made for. We were made to know the Lord. We were made to be in a relationship with God. Our purpose is to know him and follow him, to to glorify him by giving our entire self to him. This isn't a great illustration, but just follow me. Imagine, well, you have a car. Don't imagine that. I'm sure you probably do. You have a car and a car is designed to drive you from point A to point B and maybe you're hauling stuff or other people with you in that. Well, imagine that you come to your car one day open it up and, and let's, let's pretend that your car could think, it can make decisions and it can talk. So uh, you open your car and, and you're startled when it talks to you, but you engage and, and the car says, I'm done driving. Um, I've figured out what I want to do with my life. I want to sit still. I want to enjoy the weather. You live in a beautiful neighborhood. I want to enjoy the scenery and the sounds. I've noticed that there's lots of birds around. I want them to have a place to land and rest on me. I I want squirrels and and mice to be able to nest in my engine compartment because I won't be using it at all. I'm just going to take it easy here. Well, that would be ridiculous. A car was made to drive. As soon as a car can't drive, it is now worthless. Uh, It's good for a car to cruise down the road. I remember the first time that I drove by myself, driving down McGilvery in my 1973 Ford Courier. I cranked my window down because you used to have to do it that way. And I stuck my elbow out, right? And went one arm up, listened to tunes, and it felt so Good. That's what my little Ford Courier was designed to do, was to take me around. And we too, we we're made for a purpose. We we're made to know God, to follow him, to follow him by listening, right? James talks about it, hearing and doing. We, we do, we're obedient to the Lord. That's our response to his grace. But Eli's sons, they missed it. Right? They, they completely missed what they were made for. They're worthless, uh, throughout this section here, we get these little progress reports on Samuel as, as he's contrasted with these worthless sons and, and even with Eli. And we find in 18 through 21, Samuel's ministering before the Lord. Right? He's, he's doing what these grown men, Hophni and Phinehas, were supposed to do. He hasn't been there long yet. He seems, to, he seems to be figuring it out. He's honoring the Lord. He's serving the Lord. While these men had been in Shiloh their whole lives. Right, their dad's a prophet and priest, and yet they didn't know the Lord. They were priests, but they were not acting like priests. And young Samuel is already living like a priest. We're told that his mom even made him clothes that were like a priest, which is such a mom-like thing to do, right? I'm going to dress up my little boy, right? He's wearing the ephod like, like the priests would do. For Samuel 2.21, it says, Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah. She conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And then it's, here's the progress report. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Samuel's on track. He's serving the Lord. He's growing. He's finding his purpose and his meaning. Well, Eli 
in verses 22 and following, he tries to rebuke his sons. He, he kind of rebukes them. He confronts them. He tells them, I've heard, Hophni and Phinehas, I've heard about the evil that you are doing. We were told that they were sleeping with women that served at the, the entrance of the tent of meeting. Right? They, they've took their, their, their place of position, their power, and, and they're using it to gratify their sexual desires. And he says, I've heard I've heard about the evil things that you do. You got to stop it. This is not good. You're sinning against the Lord. But they wouldn't listen. They paid no attention. And 25, it says, it was the will of the Lord that they be put to death. They were going to face judgment for the rebellion against God. And it was totally justified. And then 26, again, we get another progress report on Samuel. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And then a man of God comes to Samuel in verses 27 and following. He's a prophet, and he comes to rebuke Samuel, or not Samuel, I'm sorry, Eli. Samuel's doing good. Eli, he comes to rebuke Eli. Um, in verse 29, he says, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people of Israel? Eli chose honoring his boys above the Lord. And there's room for a whole sermon right there. And parents, grandparents, I want to. I think we're warned here that, that there's an easy route to distracting our hearts from God, and it's honoring our kids, it's honoring our grandkids above the Lord. God gives us this good, good thing, right? We're supposed to love them. We do them no good by honoring them above the Lord. There's way more that can be said there. But we we think about the defiance of Eli's sons. And it's it's almost unimaginable, right? They're taking God's very grace, right? His provision of the sacrifice, right? Which is, that's, that's to atone for sin. They're taking that and they're stealing it, right? They, they show total contempt for the sacrifices, for, for the very means that God has given his people for dealing with their sin. And they respond with disdain to God's provision, there's no option left but judgment. The author of Hebrews sees the same issue with how we treat Christ's sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 29 and following. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. This is, this is at least part of why rejecting Jesus is such a big deal. Jesus is God's very means of sacrifice to atone for our sins. So people think that somehow they can be good with the Father and not good with Jesus. It doesn't work that way because Jesus is the way. The Lord had, had, had promised that Eli's house, it would go on forever, but they had been unfaithful. They didn't honor Yahweh as Lord. They didn't hold up their end of the bargain. So God says, I'm cutting you off. 
He says things like, there won't be an old man in your house. He says, the only person that will survive will, will just weep, right? That's going to be the purpose of that person to lament the judgment that has come upon your house, verses 34 and 35. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. God, in spite of the unfaithfulness of Eli and his sons. God was going to raise up a faithful priest. Is this talking about Samuel? Yes. Is this looking beyond Samuel to Jesus? You better believe it. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And this, this is subtle here. But you notice that it says, it just says Eli. It doesn't say Eli the priest. Back in 2.11, it was Samuel with Eli, the priest. There's a shift. Samuel is ministering. He will be the priest. God is taking this away. He's taking away from the household of Eli, their, their very lives in the priesthood. God is establishing Samuel, who will be the priest and the prophet of Israel. And the, the verse goes on. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. And then get the next words here. And at that time... Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his place, right? There was no vision, and the priest, he couldn't see. And we're talking about a physical thing here, but no doubt the author is using this to talk about the, the spiritual reality that Eli could no longer see the Lord. He could no longer hear the Lord. And here's young Samuel, who's ready. He's ready to hear, even though he doesn't understand that what he's about to hear is God. So Samuel's laying in bed, and he hears Samuel, and he jumps out of bed, assumes it's Eli, runs over to Eli, says, here I am, you called me. Eli says, no, I didn't call you, go back to bed. So Samuel goes back to bed, and again, he hears Samuel. Samuel hops up out of bed, runs over to Eli, he says, here I am, you called. Eli says, no, I did not call you. Go back to bed. And then verse 7 says, um, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And this almost sounds like it sounds very similar to what we heard about Hopi and Phineas, that they did not know the Lord, but their not knowing God was a rejection of God. They had contempt for God's law. Samuel didn't know God. Why? Because it hadn't been revealed yet to Samuel. So he's in bed. Lord calls again Samuel. Samuel hops out of bed, runs over to Eli, and, and, and says, here I am, you called. And it finally dawns on Eli, oh, this must be the Lord. And he tells him, this is the Lord calling you. Go back to bed. If he calls you again, Say, speak for your servant hears. Then verse 10, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. And it's curious that it says the Lord came and stood. And I don't know what exactly that means, but, but the Lord, he, he wanted 
Samuel to hear. He was not going to quit. Verse 11, then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning the house from beginning to end. I de- and declare, and I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli his vision. I'm sure Samuel didn't sleep a wink after hearing that from the Lord. Verse 16, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, and this is Eli, he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Eli knew I think he knew in his gut that what the Lord was going to speak to Samuel was bad news, and it was bad news for him. When we sin, when we're in sin, the voice of God brings fear, right? We see this all the way back in the garden, Adam and Eve. They eat the fruit that they knew they weren't supposed to eat. They hear the Lord. He calls out for them. What did they do? They hid. They were afraid. Eli's sons had rebelled against God for years, right next to God, and yet they didn't know him as Lord. No fear of the holy, mighty, awesome Lord. They, they, they indulged in sacrifices meant for him. They used their power to get what they wanted, and Eli's sin was in not restraining his sons. Eli had not honored the Lord, and it was all coming to an end. It was all crashing down. This covenant between Eli's family and God had been broken by Eli's side, and now they'd face judgment. Now, and we'll see throughout the book, and we see some, some horrible sin in, in this book. Um, and we'll see this theme of judgment and salvation throughout the book. And one thing that I thought about this week as I was thinking about Hophni and Phinehas is, is God gave them a lot of time. God was very, very patient with them. He gave them years to see the Lord, to recognize his greatness in their need, but they didn't. And now they were going to face judgment for it, and it was going to be terrible. Facing God in judgment is no light thing. I read this earlier, but I'll read it again, Hebrews 10, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Second Peter 3, 9, I love this verse. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's God's heart. And you might hear that last part, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And maybe you think back to verse 25 of chapter two, where it says that that Hopi and Phineas wouldn't listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Those two things, how do they fit together? 
Uh, I think that we need to be reminded that we're complex creatures. God is even more complex. And I think that we like to make God one-dimensional. Right? He, he desires for people to come to repentance, and he will not wait forever. There will be judgment, and it will be perfectly just the way he responds to our sins. And even with this terrible news for Eli's household, God's faithful to raise up Samuel and all the prophets following Samuel throughout all of Israel's history. God faithfully gives Israel prophets, calling them back to him, graciously pursuing them, even though they run from him. And ultimately, God gave the final prophet, Jesus And as good as some of the priests were and many of the prophets were, they were all pointing to Christ. As great as the Hebrew scriptures are, the Old Testament, the climax of the revelation is Jesus. Jesus is the one that we need. He's the one that we need to pay attention to. Verse 19, our final progress report on Samuel. Samuel grew uh, and Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. How do you know a prophet's good? All their words are right. Uh, Verse 20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. They had hope because God had established Samuel as prophet. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. In chapter 1. Or chapter uh, 4, verse 1, and the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. So in spite of Eli and his household's unfaithfulness to Yahweh, Yahweh is totally faithful to his people. He appoints, he grows Samuel, his established prophet. He pours out his grace and continues to speak to his people by his prophet Samuel. The people knew that Samuel wasn't just a good guy, not not just a charismatic leader or a godly person even. They understood that he was God's prophet, that God was speaking to his people. And Israel at this time, they had not been in good shape. It had been bad for a long time. And while Samuel, in, in a lot of ways, is worthy of us emulating, the comfort in chapter three isn't that Samuel was gonna be such a great leader. The comfort is that God sent his word. The comfort is that God was not silent, that God's people needed God to provide his word, and he did it. So God has spoken. God does speak. He he speaks in several ways today. He speaks by his spirit. The Holy Spirit is good to remind us of truth. The Holy Spirit brings us back to Jesus. I recently heard someone say that, that the Holy Spirit is, is kind of the, the shy member of the Trinity. And what they meant by that was the Holy Spirit is always so good at, at taking Jesus and putting him front and center so that we see Jesus. He's so good at glorifying the Father by, by glorifying the Son. So, so maybe we don't notice the Spirit as much, but it's because he's so excellent at pointing us to Christ. The Spirit speaks truth into our hearts, and to our minds as we face an onslaught of lies from the enemy and from all sides. In John 16, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He said in John 14, 
The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. He'll bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So God speaks to us by his spirit, reminding us of truth, reminding us of the words of Christ himself. He speaks through his people, right? God speaks through his people. We're supposed to to speak truth to one another, truth from God. The body of Christ is to be saturated in the truth of Christ. Colossians 3, 16 and 17, maybe you remember this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're to constantly remind each other of who God is, of how good he is, of his faithfulness. We're to remind each other of our sinfulness. We're to remind each other, we're to point out when when we're not putting our hope in the Lord, when we're honoring something above the Lord, we need that, right? We need brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to have hard conversations with us to point us to Jesus. And it's a privilege that God has given his people to one another, to speak the word, to speak the truth to one another. Obviously, one way that he speaks, as was pointed out earlier, is is his word. And I was reminded of Deuteronomy 32. Moses had just spoken the the law to the people. And he says this. He says, uh, take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may uh, command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. And then verse 47 in chapter 32, he says, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. possess. Is that God's word to you? Is it your very life? And maybe maybe look at God's word and you see it as just some dusty old book. Or maybe you, you do remember a time when God's word was life. It was like drinking from a deep, refreshing well every time. But maybe the word has become dry to you. If that's you, I'd recommend uh, sitting in, meditating in Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 over the next couple of weeks. And praying to the Lord, asking him to open your eyes to the wonderful truths in the word, that he would give you uh, a love for his word, that the spirit would, would teach you in the truth of his word. Because this is how we most clearly listen to the Lord. Certainly God still speaks through his son. And scripture and the spirit, they point to the son. Jesus is the word that we need to hear and know. He's come so that we may have life in him. He's come to reveal the Father to us so that we can know him. He's come to make a way for us. He died for us so that we could be forgiven of everything, of all of our sin, and know him. He's come. He's speaking. The question is, are you listening? Will you listen to the Lord? I know this was read earlier, but I just love the beginning of Hebrews. I'm going to read this to you again. Long ago, And at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I want to end with this quote by uh, commentator John Woodhouse. God's word tells, uh, God's word to us is the word he has spoken by his son, Jesus Christ. It is the word you hear when you hear the truth of Jesus. God is not silent. We can be his people. We can hear his word, believe him, and obey. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that, that you are not silent, that you do speak. I thank you. Uh, I thank you for your scripture, Lord, that you've given us your word so that we can know you. I thank, that you give, I thank you that you've given us the spirit to to teach us your word, to tell us what you are saying to us. Lord, we thank you that, that you've given us one another. And I, I pray that, that in, in 2020, man, this body would get better at, at speaking the word to one another, that we would be uh, bold in, in helping one another remain focused on honoring you as Lord. Jesus, I thank you that, that you came, that, that you are the, the ultimate revelation of God, that, that in knowing you, we know the Father. God, we thank you for dying for us, and, and we pray that, that our lives would, would just be a response to you, that, 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 that our, our whole self, we, we would just give you ourself that more and more each day we'd give you who we are, that we'd obey you, that we would live, live the purpose, the meaning that, that you created us for, to be, to be a drink offering poured out to you, Lord. God, would that be true of us? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.